Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Hey, my name is Alan. Thanks for being here with us today. If you are a guest, I am not the normal one that comes up here. If you've been here a long time, you hear me say this every time I'm on stage. But uh, I'm not the one that's normally up here preaching. Uh, I am on staff here at Journey. I get to work with all of our teams here um, and kind of help them execute the things that need to happen and do the ministries and all the stuff. But Pastor Bobby today is going to be, you may have seen him. I think he's here somewhere. Usually he sits right here even when I'm up here, but I don't see him. Um, But he will be preaching down at our Sherwood campus today, our campus that's in South Augusta. Um, He'll be down there speaking to that uh, campus as well today. So um, I have the privilege of being with you this morning. So you're stuck with me. So sorry about that, but hopefully it won't, be, it won't be too bad. I don't think so. It's God's word. So we'll do what God's word says to do, right? That's the message today. Um, so, man, we're in a tough crowd. I'm sorry. I'm getting going this morning. You good? Everybody good? Everybody has to take a deep breath. <sighs> that was for me, not for you. Um, but we're good to go. Hey, we're in week two of a series called Work in Progress. Uh, Work in Progress has been a series we saw last week with Pastor Bobby, and he talked about our thoughts and how we need to be thinking, and how we should be having the mind of Christ, Um, and how he talked about last week, just that we should be thinking about change, that we should be intentional in our mindset about how we should change. We went to Philippians chapter 4, which tells us all about how to think about what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is good. All these verses found in chapter, in uh, the fourth chapter of Philippians, we spoke about last week, and then even he challenged us at the end of the uh, sermon last week to be about um, thinking, setting our minds on the things of Christ and where Christ is from Colossians chapter three about how we can have the mind of Christ and set our minds on things above, not on things of earth, where Christ is seated at the right hand. That's what we talked about. So we challenged us to change our thoughts, to work on our thoughts. And so this week we're going to go, we actually ended last week with a verse of scripture that was going to be our launching point today for scripture. And that's found in the book of James, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I want to tell you about, I've been in ministry almost 20 years now. I know I don't look like it. I know I look a lot younger than that, but I've been in ministry almost 20 years. For the first 10 years of my ministry, I was a student pastor, um, and I started in a really small church. Um, It's actually the church I grew up in. So I lived my first 29 and a half years of life basically in the same church, growing up there, and then working there for the last four and a half years. Um, And I had a student during that time um, who was a great student, a good kid. By all the Southern um, metrics, he was a good kid, came from a churched family, right? Was in church whenever the doors were open. Um, he didn't drink. He didn't cuss. He didn't smoke. He didn't chew. He didn't go out with girls who do. How, what's that old saying? Y'all heard that one before, right? Uh, for all those metrics, he was a good kid. But at the same time, Now, let me rephrase that. He wasn't a bad kid. At the same time, he wasn't necessarily doing the things that God calls us to do. So we, and when I went to talk to him about this, I said, hey, there's a verse of scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter seven. It says this, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. It's pretty obvious, right? Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. I said, hey man, you're not really producing bad fruit like you're not doing terrible things and I'm having to get in trouble and you're not always in trouble with your family because you're not doing bad things. But I also don't really see the good things that you're doing either. Like you're kind of just there, kind of just a good church kid who doesn't get in trouble, 
but I wouldn't go, man, he's loving Jesus. And man, he's doing the things that God has called us to do. And so I really wanted to challenge and encourage him that day. I was like, hey, you need to start doing the things that God's called you to do. And so today, that's what I'm gonna encourage you with. Maybe today you need to start doing the things that God's called you to do. And we'll see that in just a second in the scriptures that we talk about. But I wanna battle this tension of where we're not talking about either. So I wanna set up today with here's what I'm not saying, all right? Don't hear me saying these things. Does that make sense? Here's what it says. We don't have a works-based salvation. We don't live in a world where, hey, if you do enough of the good things, God will love you enough and you will get to go to heaven because you did enough good things. That's not how God works. We live in the South. That's kind of how we think things work, right? We're just going to be good people. We're going to be nice people. We're going to use our manners. We're going to say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. We're going to hold the door open for the ladies. We're going to say grace before we eat. All those good things will make me good with God. And that's just not true. It's not how, that's not how Christianity works. And so I want to make sure that we understand that we're not today, as I go on and talk in a few minutes, you're going to say, hey, kind of sounds like you're saying if I do these good things, then God will love me more and he'll let me into heaven. That's not what I'm saying. We don't have a works-based salvation. Religion works that way. In fact, religion is just defined as man's best attempt to reach God. Religion is, hey, I'm going to do what I think I should do enough of to get God. Christianity says Jesus came down to us and lived that life for us and died that death for us that we get the relationship and we get all the good things because of what Jesus has done. He's the hero of the story. We're not the heroes of the story. So it's not a works-based salvation. We don't have that. In fact, what I wanna say is we work from a place of that grace, not to that place, all right? We work from it. So we understand and we know as Christians, we've been given a relationship with Jesus and now in response, we do those good things that God's called us to do not to that place, not, oh man, I got to work it up. I got to do all those things. I got to do everything. Jesus did all of those things for us. We must have a relationship with him and those things. So I don't know if you're new today, if you've come for the first time and you came to church because you thought it was the right and good thing to do. And you thought maybe God would love you more because you even came to the early service. You came to the nine o'clock service. They had two others later on, but you got up early and sacrificed your sleep. That's not what it's about. We can't do it. Thank you for coming to the nine o'clock service, but you don't get more of Jesus just because you're the early service, all right? In fact, I always tell the 12 o'clock service that they're the smartest group, right? Because they slept in all morning and still came to church, right? Y'all, have, y'all are smart too because y'all get to the restaurants before everybody else gets to the restaurants, right? There's always, there's an advantage to all of it, everything we do, all right? So if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of James. I said it earlier, right? Book of James, the first chapter. And here's the thing about James. I don't know how much you study or learn about the Bible. These, all these things are very easy to see and read and learn. But James was the brother of Jesus, all right? How many of you guys have a brother? I have a brother. I have an older brother. Anybody got a brother? How many of you would think, you know what? I think my brother is God. Anybody? Nope, right? James is the brother of Jesus, And here's the truth. He didn't think his brother was God either for a long time. He's like, I live with the man. No, 
He did not think that. In fact, he didn't actually, they don't, they, scholars believe he didn't become a Christian until after the resurrection of Jesus. Until his brother goes, oh, he came back from the dead. All right, I got to pay attention now, right? He, he, he beat this death thing. Maybe he really is all these things that God said he is. And so James, the brother of, of Jesus, now believes that Jesus is God. That's got to give you some validity to who Jesus is, that his own brother would go, yep, that's who he is. He's God. It's him. But James now is the leader of the church of Jerusalem. So he's in, the, he's in the, the kind of the heart of where Christianity started and everything going on, and he's now leading this church. And so he's writing this book to his church saying, hey, here's what's going on. Now, scholars debate whether or not um, James and Paul really knew each other and also knew about each other's letters. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, Paul wrote 13 letters in our New Testament of the Bible. And he wrote all these letters to the other churches that he had planted and started. Well, Paul talks a lot about the grace of God and the free gift. If we look in Ephesians, it says the free gift of grace that we get of faith. Whereas James now, what we're going to read in a second, talks about works. And so some people are like, hey, did they debate each other on like, it's, no, it's about faith and, and grace. No, it's about works. There's scholars who say things, they didn't, they didn't really know each other. So James wasn't writing these verses we're going to read in a minute in contrast to what Paul was saying, they probably, he's writing this to his people. He knows his church, his leaders, the things that are going on in his world. And he's saying, hey guys, here's what we have to do. And so we kind of sometimes go, they've, they've, they've argued all the time. Like, oh, wait a minute. James says it's about works. Paul says it's about, it's a free gift of grace. Grace, what is it? Yes. The answer is yes. It's both of these things. It's what Paul tells us in scripture. It's what James tells us in scripture. So James chapter one, Verses 20 through, 22 through 25. Let's read that together. You ready? Here's what it says. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling everybody else. You reading along with me? Just make sure you're paying attention. i to keep you hooked for a few minutes, just a little bit longer. You are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So today, I want to take these verses, these three verses, there are four verses that we're reading, and kind of highlight some, maybe some things we don't necessarily look for in these verses, kind of glance over them, kind of just read through them. I want to take just three of these today and kind of look at them. But we think we can fool everybody else. We think we can let, hide stuff, show off stuff that makes people think, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. I can kind of fool everybody else. When here, the book of James says, us, look, if you don't do what the Bible tells you to do, if you're only listening and not doing, you're only fooling who? yourself. So today when we talk a little bit of this, this is for you. This is not for me. I'm not going to come to you after this service is over and go, hey, did you get everything I got out of this message? Did you, are you going to do the things I told you to do? Because I'm not really going to tell you to do anything. I'm going to ask you to talk to Jesus about it and let the Holy Spirit move in your life and in your ways for you to do the things that you need to be doing. I'm not going to give you very many specific commands today. The Bible will say some of them, but we're, I'm not coming to you. So if you're fooling yourself, that's on you, not on me. But here's what, here's what some of the, uh, the Bible says. 
not the Bible. Here's what this one uh, study said. It says, here's some good, good news. If you're like most people, you're way above average at almost everything. Did you catch that? Psychologists call this the, I can't even say the word, uh, usury superiority. This simply means that we tend to inflate our positive qualities and abilities, especially in comparison to other people. Numerous research studies have revealed this tendency to overestimate ourselves. For instance, when researchers asked a million high school students how well they, get, they got along with their peers, none of the students rated themselves as below average. As a matter of fact, 60% of the students believed they were in the top 10%. I don't know if you've seen the movie where he says, you know, 60% of this time, it works every time, right? If you know that quote. He also says this, 25% rated themselves in the top 1%. And you'd think that college professors might have this more uh, self-insight, but they were just as biased about their abilities. 2% rated themselves below average. 10% were average, and 63% were above average, while 25% rated themselves as truly exceptional. Of course, this is statistically impossible. One, teacher, one researcher summarized the data this way. It's the great contradiction. The average person believes he is better, he's a better person than the average person. I'll say that again. The average person believes he is better, he's a better person than the average person. Christian psychologist Mark McMinn said this. He said, this tendency of inflated self-image reveals our pride. He writes, one of the clearest conclusions of social science research is that we are proud. We think we are better, better of ourselves than we really are. We see our faults in faint black and white rather than the vivid color. And we assume the worst in others while assuming the best in ourselves. I think this is so true because even in our world, we have a staff here at the church. We have a pretty good-sized staff. And part of my job is to help the staff get along and make sure we're doing the things. And so we have these what we call staff norms. And one of our staff norms is to believe the best about someone else. I know you can't believe it, but about 25 Christians working together, we can sometimes not believe the best about somebody else because we're human, right? And so we talk about we have to believe the best of somebody else because we always believe the best about ourselves, but we have to believe the best about someone else as well. But the truth is we are very, it comes very natural for us to fool ourselves, and in fact, the scripture is here saying, look, if you just listen to God's words, which by the way, doing a great job of listening to God's word today. Good job. We have to do something about it. We have to do something with it. There's, there's some pretty clear commands in it, again, which we're going to get to in a moment. But if we don't, the only people we're fooling are ourselves, not anybody else. So you're not going to fool me today. Or you can try to fool me today and that's fine, but it doesn't do you any good to fool me. You're only fooling yourselves when you do this. I think about this too. We had a, I knew a pastor who was on a staff retreat with his team. It's not our pastor, I promise. Not just saying that to, not uh, talking about him. But he wanted to tell his staff that he was finally ready to admit one of his weaknesses. In fact, the staff have been getting along all weekend long. They're around that campfire at night. If you've been in that situation where everybody's just kind of feeling good about each other and doing those kinds of things. And the pastor was finally ready to admit one of his weaknesses. And so he finally admits the weakness and he's waiting for his team's response. And his team just kind of went, yeah, 
we knew. We already knew that. And the pastor was shocked that they weren't shocked. Because the truth is, we typically only fool ourselves. We don't fool somebody else, right? Can't walk around moping all the time and people not be surprised that I'm walking around moping. They figure something out. We talk about, again, in our team, we, wanna, we just kind of want to admit our weaknesses. We want to admit the things that we struggle with because we all struggle with something. Um, we're, we're in the hiring phase around here a little bit. And so it's our favorite because we always ask, um, what's, what's your strengths and then what's your weaknesses? And I'm going to go ahead and give you the two weaknesses that everyone says they have. All right. You work too hard. Right. You put too much time into it. Everyone says that. Right. Right. And then I'm a perfectionist. I want to make sure everything is perfect. Now, people do struggle with that. But that's what every person tells us in the thing. Like, of course, you work too hard and you're a perfectionist. Yep, everybody, has, we have to go, no, no, tell us what you really struggle with. And my favorite is that Pastor Bobby, in the interviews that he gets into, goes, no, tell me what you really struggle with. Like, I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with depression. I struggle with real things. Bobby's willing to admit those kinds of things in these because he's wanting people to own their weaknesses. We have to stop fooling ourselves, right? We, we have to do what God's word says. Or, or, or we're just fooling ourselves. So we want to keep moving. We want to do that. Here's what the, here's what the Bible says in, in some of these things too. Uh, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Bob Goff, maybe you've heard of him. He had a book called Love Does, and that's kind of the whole point of it. But he says this, he has this uh, statement in one of his books. He says, I'm getting together, I'm all for getting together with men and women in small groups around scripture and letting it just wash over us. But for me, I've been meeting with the same 10 guys for about 15 years now. But we don't have a Bible study every Friday. We have a Bible doing. And the truth is, we probably should do, those of us who've been in Bible studies long enough, need to move from Bible studies to Bible doing. We need to do the things God's called us to do. So if you're a Christian here today who struggles with certain parts of the Bible, my encouragement to you is to simply find the things that are very easy and plain, not easy, but plain in the scriptures and start doing those things. Um, the late Charles Stanley, who just passed away recently, always said this. He said, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Just do the things that God's called you to do. So if you're not sure what the things God's called you to do, here's some scriptures that are from the New Testament that are the, some of the clearest commands in the New Testament. You ready? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So four areas there that we have to concern ourselves with loving God, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Honor your father and mother. Now, you go, honor your father and mother. We, got, we are a bunch of mother, mothers and fathers in here. Well, the truth is the Bible doesn't tell us honor your father and mother until you become a father and mother. It actually just says honor your father and mother. My dad has passed. My mom is still alive. I still have to find ways to honor my mom. There are times that she's even told me recently that I did not honor my mom. I have to work on that. I have to learn in this situation. I had to apologize in the situation. Honor your father and mother doesn't stop just because you become one. You still, if, you, if they're alive and they're still in your lives, if they're not alive, you still can honor them. This is a clear command from scripture. Ready? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands and wives, submit to each other. Bible says, encourage each other. Bible says, forgive one another. Now, I mentioned these were clear. I didn't, uh, and I messed up. They're not easy. No one said these were easy. 
just that it's clear. It's obvious. We don't have to like do a really long study. We don't take a year to study these things and go, I think I figured out what this means, right? It's pretty obvious, right? How many of you guys have kids? How many of you have told your kids to do something while they lived at home, right? How many of you, like you tell your kids to go to the, go and clean their room up and they go to their room and they go in there and they, and they shut the door and they come out an hour later and you go, did you clean your room? Well, they said, well, I went in there and I thought about what you said and I even studied it. I broke down the words that you, you commanded to me to do and I studied them. You know what? I even wrote a song about it and sang that song about why I should be cleaning a room and how, the, how my parents told me to clean my room and specifically what it was. It was a great song. Had about 17 choruses and bridges on the end of it. Sang it for a long time, right? And he said, but did you clean your room? And they say, no. Would you be happy with them? No, right. But isn't that sometimes what we do as Christians? We showed up, we studied the words, right? We knew all the Hebrew and Greek. We figured out what all the scholars, and hey, I'm talking to myself here because these are all the things that I have done as well. We studied it, we sang the songs, right? But we didn't actually do what God called us to do the things that he's called us to do. So we have to do them. We have to get into that. Next part of it, um, we're fooling ourselves. The next part of verse 25 tells us this. First part of that verse says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, that sets you free. Today, the last thing I want you to walk away from here is to feel guilty about what God's called you to do. You know, those things he's called you to do. His perfect law is there to set you free to give you freedom. Now, we need to understand what that freedom is, right? And what freedom isn't per se, because we can sometimes have the wrong idea about that. So let's just set the table right there for this one. You cannot be free without restrictions. A fish is not free to roam the jungle. It wasn't made for that. A lion is not free to live in the ocean, but it wasn't made for, uh, for that. Freedom is having the benefits accrue to you that you were created to receive. Freedom doesn't mean there are no boundaries. Freedom means that within the right boundaries, you can maximize your potential. Our human freedom is the freedom to be in a relationship with God and maximize our relationship with him and do the things he's created us to do. Here's what else I mean by freedom. Freedom found in these verses, we can go all the way back to the beginning and see that God at the beginning wanted to, wanted to when he first created things, wanted us to have freedom. He wanted us to have a relationship with him and to enjoy the world he created us to do. Freedom is what he wanted for us. But because of the fall, so again, Genesis 1 and 2, God set things up. Do you know how many rules God created the earth with in Genesis 1 and 2? One rule. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. So maybe that's two inside of a one whole sentence. All the laws didn't show up until after the sin until after man fell. And so when God created things, he created us with a ton of freedom. Here's the earth, be in relationship with me and take care of the earth. That's what he wanted. The fall messed things up. So now, now we need certain types of freedom. We need freedom from some things. We need freedom from addiction. We need freedom from legalism. We need freedom from a works-based salvation. We need freedom from 
all kinds of things that just hold us back and then allow us to be in relationship with Jesus. We also need freedom for right living. We need freedom for doing the things that God's called us to do. If you want, if you haven't really been in the Bible very much and it's, it's new to you, I want to give you 10 verses of Scripture that you can read that summarize the entire Bible. You ready? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But it says this, You were dead in your sin and transgressions, but God in his great mercy, which is one of the best buts in the Bible, but God in his grace and mercy has made you alive in Christ. And it's a free gift. He goes on in verses seven and eight, say it's a free gift, or excuse me, eight and nine, that you can't, no one can boast, not in your works, right? So he says this, Paul says all this, it's not in your works, no one can boast. But then verse 10 says, but you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good things he's called you to, to do the good works that he's prepared for you. So he sets all this relationship up with God and then says, but now you get to do the things God's called you to do. So we have freedom for doing the things that God's called us to do. So we have freedom from all the sin and shame and things that hold us back. We have freedom for doing the things that God's called us to do. And we have freedom with each other. We haven't been called to do this thing alone. You're sitting in a room with Uh, other people here in this room who you can be doing life with. You're in a community. Your relationship with Jesus is personal, but your relationship with Jesus is not private. It wasn't meant for just you and no one else to know about it. It was meant for you to open up and live your life in community with other believers and to do the things that God's called you to do. You have freedom with each other. We need each of you. The body of Christ needs you specifically and individually to do the things that God's called you to do. You listen to God's word, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you're a Christian, and you do the things that God's called you to do. We're not going to get to heaven and we're not going to take a theology test of do you know the Bible quiz answers enough. In fact, when God tells us what a good, mature Christian is, he gives us these characteristics. He says, these are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These things are what we're known as Christians, not can you name all 66 books of the Bible in order? Can you tell me whether to learn those things? Great, but do the things that God's called you to do. So you have freedom from, you have freedom for, and you have freedom with to do these things. That's the kind of freedom that sets you free when you do the perfect law that God's called us to do. That's why around here we say this, We practice extravagant generosity for the sake of the kingdom. We use our time, our talents, our treasures to do the things that God's called us to do for his kingdom and for his name, not anybody else's. And we give and we do those things because that's what God's called us to do. That's why we use the word, so we say our time, we practice. We surrender, we love, we encourage, we practice. We want to do the things that God's called us to do. All right, let's keep looking at James chapter uh, 1, verse 25. Look at this last part of the verse. It says, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. God will bless you for doing it. Ultimately, God wants to bless you. Again, if you've heard today, if you're getting any of this and going, man, God's just mad at me. God hates me. Can't do this. And you feel the weight of that, man, remove that stuff from your life. God wants to bless you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to do these good things in your life. He gave his son for you. And now you get to, in return, give and and do the things that God's called you to do. So it's blessing. 
I remember um, years ago, I think, in fact, it started a little bit before um, I got here to Journey. We started um, Second Saturday. And Second Saturday is a food distribution thing that happens on our campus in, in partnership with Golden Harvest Food Bank. And we give away food. Um, and in fact, it's turned in from just giving away food to giving away clothes. We're taking a lot of clothes. But wouldn't it be really weird if we kept getting this food from Golden Harvest Food Bank every week or every month and all these clothes and we just kept them to ourselves? We just had a stockpile of all this food and clothes here at the church. Would that be weird? It'd be like pointless to have all this stuff here if we didn't give it away? In fact, a couple of years ago when we started Journey Sherwood, um, we acquired, uh, got in partnership with this church in 2019. We opened it in 2020 um, on Father's Day of 2020. And we actually have a building down there that we call our care center. And it's a place that we get even more food and we get even more clothing. Um, we have several places, several clothing businesses here in town that give us clothing. It's a lot of clothing. If we just kept all of this to ourselves, would that have been pointless? That have been wrong for us to do, right? Just to hoard all this food and all this clothing. But what a blessing it is that we get to give this away. Every month we get to give away clothes. And in fact, we even down at our care center, we have opportunities where people come in the middle of the week and at different times to get clothing and get the, the, the things they need. Um, we've began to more and more uh, work with people who are experiencing homelessness, all those kinds of things we get to do, be a part of. But it'd be so weird if we kept all of these blessings to ourselves. The truth is, it'd be weird too if you kept all the blessings that you get. If you think about it, how many of you in here have been blessed by God in some way? It'd be weird if you kept that all to yourself and it was only for you. It's happened to me before, right? I don't know if, you, I don't know if you're like me. I've gotten money before, right? And I thought, man, God just blessed me and me alone with all this money, but not a lot, y'all, just relax. Um, but I didn't think about anybody else with this money except myself. I didn't think how I could help someone else. Um, sadly, I didn't even think how I could help my own family. It was just, man, what can I do with this? I got this, I'm gonna spend it on me. The truth is God blesses us in ways, not just for ourselves, but to help other people. So there's three ideas about blessings that I wanna deal with just here and we'll finish up in this last little part. The first one is the blessing of honesty. Let's be honest about some of our blessings. You ready? Sometimes the blessings that God wants to put in your life are hard work. They are sacrifice. They are going to cost you something, right? And it won't be easy. So I don't want to, I'm not here up here to tell you, this is the, this is the old saying of you're going to be so blessed that you'll never be stressed. You know, it's not that I'm too blessed to be stressed moment. Some of the blessing you receive is going to be hard work, right? It's going to be a sacrifice to you to give. And it's going to be one of those moments where it's going to cost you something. Um, we talk about all the time around here, we say, we say on ramp, which we will again next week, is this. There are people in here, we have the dangerous message of Jesus. And why we use the word dangerous is because it will change your life. You'll start using your vacation time to go on mission trips. That costs you something. It's going to cost, you're, you're paying money to go help someone else in a foreign country or even in our country. You'll use up the two weeks you get a year, you'll use one of those to serve somebody else. That's the honesty of the blessing. But the truth is, if you ask that person who gave up a week of their time, one of their weeks of vacation to go help somebody else, if they're blessed when it's over, they're going to tell you, absolutely. It was hard work. 
I was talking with some of the guys in, in, in the atrium earlier today. We've been to Haiti, right? And the only cool water you get in Haiti is the shower you take at night to stop sweating for about three minutes. And then when you're done with the shower, you start sweating again. It's just hot, right? No air conditioner, no anything else. But man, the blessing to be in Haiti, to be with these kids, right? To be with these adults and help them and the blessing that they give you because of how they see Jesus and how they see the kingdom, even in the terrible situations that they're in, man, it's a blessing. It's a blessing, but it's a blessing of honesty. The second blessing is this. It's a blessing of boredom. And here's what I mean by that. Um, there's a, a book I read a couple years ago called Atomic Habits. And some of you I know have read it in here, but he talks about this as a guy named Adam Grant. He used to be a professional baseball player, but here's what he says towards the end of the book that I thought was genius. He says, after my baseball career ended, I was looking for a new sport. So I joined a weightlifting team. And one day an elite coach visited our gym. He had worked with thousands of athletes during his long career, including a few Olympians. I introduced myself and we began talking about the process of improvement. I asked him this, what's the difference between the best athletes and everyone else. What do really successful people do that most don't? And he mentioned a few factors that you might expect, genetics, luck, talent. But then he said something I wasn't expecting. Here's what it, here's what it is. At some point, it comes down to those who can handle the boredom of training every day, doing the same lifts over and over and over. His answer surprised me because it's a different way of thinking about work ethic. People talk about getting amped up to work on their goals, whether it's in business or sports or art. New people say things like, it all comes down to passion or you really, uh, you really have to want it. And as a result, many of us get depressed when we lose focus or motivation because we think the successful people have a bottomless reserve of passion. But this coach was saying that really successful, successful people feel the same lack of motivation as everyone else. The difference is they still find a way to show up despite the feelings of boredom. See, the truth is, as you become a Christian, you're a Christian long enough, I'm just gonna be honest, there are days when you read your Bible and it's kind of boring. You don't feel like the Holy Spirit's really working in that specific moment and you don't feel like it, but you keep going. And you experience blessings because you keep going in those moments. I'll tell you about the care center at our campus over there. Well, every Tuesday, there's a group of ladies who show up to sort through the clothing that we get. I'm telling you, it's a lot of clothing from the stores that we get it from. And they sort it and they hang it and they make it presentable for the guests who come in to shop. And they do this every Tuesday for the past three years. And I can guarantee you, there's been some Tuesdays where it was boring. They enjoy each other's company. They talk, they usually go eat and all kinds of stuff. But I'm sure there's days where it was just a boring time hanging up clothes. If you ever worked in that industry, you know what it's like to have to fold clothes and hang up clothes and all that kind of stuff. But they use those moments to still bless other people. And so today I just wanna be honest with you that there's a blessing sometimes that it's just boring. It's, you just have to work through it. You just have to get through it. But the consistency over time, time and time and time again, the compound, the, the multiplication of that will be a blessing in your life. To know that you've been in God's word for years at a time, that's the blessing of boring. And the last blessing is this, the blessing of eternal life, eternal value. The blessing we have is God's blessings in our lives are not always going to be materialistic. I'm not saying today you're gonna to give $10 and then you're gonna receive a hundred back, right? 
I'm going to tell you, you're going to bless other people and bless things because ultimately you've been blessed. You've been given eternal life through Jesus. You can do the things that God's called you to do. You have those blessings. God has given you. You get heaven for eternity because of what Jesus did for us. So if you're here today and you've not started a relationship with Jesus, that's the first and most important thing you can do. Begin a relationship with him today. Tell him that you want, to be, you want him to be a part of your life. And then we can work towards the things that you should be doing as a Christian. Earlier, I told you about my friend, my student, who really wasn't doing the things God called him to do. Well, happy to report today that he's a man that loves Jesus, loves his family, loves his kid, does the things that God's called him to do. And if you ask him, he would tell you that he's living a blessed life because of what he's done. So that's the same thing I want for you. No guilt, no shame, just encouragement for you to do the things that God's called you to do. I wanna encourage you this week, here's your challenge. Your challenge is to figure out what that thing is that God's called you to do. You know it, I don't know it. You've been thinking about it this whole time. It's been in the back of your head about what God's been calling you to do. My encouragement this week is just do it. Just try it. Just try to become, let, let it become a habit in your life. I want to finish today with one prayer. It was from a book I was reading earlier this week and I thought it fit good today. And so we're going to pray this prayer and we'll be done. So let's pray. Lord, you will have to be our teacher because the dignity has been drained out of us in so many ways. We have been treated like dirt and that has stuck on us. We put ourselves against standards of our own making because we thought it would give us worth. Please touch each person with how unique they are in your eyes and how their dignity in your eyes is so great that you will not, you will not even override them. You will woo them and pursue them and help them to accept that you are seeking them and you will allow yourself to be found by them if they simply cry out for help. I pray that great freedom will come across because of their, of their awareness of where they stand in your kingdom. That will make Jesus very happy and the angels in heaven will jump up and down. And so we say, let it be so. And that's what we mean by amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.